Good morning. Good to see all of you here. Sound like we had a good time singing. So I hope that the song spoke to you like they did me. I, I think the music carries with it a message that we can just do over and over. In fact, I think most people when they leave will probably come near remembering the music than they do the sermon, to be very honest with you. But that's all right. If the music's good and it's biblical, that's great, isn't it? We can always let it speak to our hearts. Today the sermon is Beware of False Teachers. And so I ask you to be praying that I can explain this the best that God would have me to. I'm not going into a great deal of detail because I think it's pretty well self-explanatory. But if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I just want to remind you that the greatest thing that will ever happen to you in your life is the moment that you understand that you're lost and you need a Savior and you acknowledge that trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord, recognizing that you're a sinner and that you ask Him to forgive you, to have mercy on you, to repent of those things that have taken place in your life. And He is more than happy to do that. That's why He went to the cross. He took our sin that we might be made right and we might live with Him forever and ever. It's not just enough to come to Sunday school and church. It's not just enough to give our tithes and our offerings. All of those things, as important as they are, and they are very, very important, but they do not get you saved. They're a part of your salvation experience. So don't depend on anything other than the grace of God, what He has done for us at Calvary, and allow Him to come into your heart, to live in your heart, and then to become that new creation that He said you would be, and to grow every day closer and more of what He would have you to be. Studying, learning, and we'll talk about that in the sermon, but letting Him have His way and telling Satan that He no longer owns you, that He no longer sways you. You now have the Holy Spirit in you because that's what happens when we get saved. And greater is He who is in us than he who is in the world. So today, if you've never trusted Christ, can be the greatest day of your life. For those of us who have, this can be a great day in our life as we look at the Scripture, as we listen to what God's Word has to say to us, and then we yield to what His Word has to say. We're obedient. Because he said that obedience is what he wants out of us. It's more precious than sacrifice or anything else we can do is to obey the word of God. Not to try to excuse it away, to look and say, well, Lord, you don't understand. Listen, the Bible tells us that he knew every day of our life before we were ever born. So we have no excuse when he lets us walk through the testing that he lets us as Christians walk through. When we have the heartaches that we have, when we have the confrontations we have, when we have all these experiences in our life, they're to test us, to help us to understand, to live where he would have us to live. So therefore, because of that, then we need to be aware of false teachers because there is a very special responsibility that comes when you get saved, and that's to be a, a godly member of God's family, to do what he said. In fact, if you will read, and I encourage you to do this so often, read John chapters 14, 15, and 16. You can read 17, that's the Lord's Prayer, the high priestly prayer. But if you'll read those chapters, you'll find so much of what Jesus said He expects out of His disciples, that's us, and how He said, if we love Him, we'll do those things. Because He said, if you love me, keep my commandments, didn't He? So it's so simple, it's not hard to understand what He had to say. And that's why when you hear me preach, I take the book to be literal. I believe that God never changes, 
So therefore, the things that he says in this passage right here, even though Paul was writing to Timothy, who was at Ephesus, and that's what we've been studying throughout this chapter, those truths are as true for First Baptist Church of Sonora as they were to the church at Ephesus, where he was encouraging and telling Timothy, this is what you need to teach to them. So pray today that I can preach God's message the way God would have it preached. Father, this is your day. This is a special message, and I pray that you'll use it for your glory. Father, I want to say what you'd help me to say. I don't want to say any more. I don't want to say any less. I don't want to get off on a tangent, something that Tony may think, Tony may believe, but yet it would not add to what Scripture says or help today. It could be great in a one-on-one conversation, maybe in a small group, but not here. So I ask you to give me wisdom and ability and mercy and unction. In Jesus' name, amen. And, and as I said in, in the introduction that I wrote out, Paul did admonish Timothy and the church to be aware that false doctrine is all around us. And if any generation ought to know that, it's us. Uh, 2,000 years ago or thereabouts, Paul wrote this, and he wrote it for our benefit, that we could learn from it, that we could practice it, that we could be who God would have us to be. So I'm going to break this passage into three different points, if you'll let me do that. I think there's three areas that we can learn what God has to say to us today, and as we look at these, I hope that each one of us will ask ourselves, does this apply to me, or how can I use this to be better Christian, to be more of what God would have me to be? Because you're going to go through some times of temptation. I can tell you, there's going to be hard times sometimes. There's going to be things happen in our life that Satan will come to us and he'll tempt us, or we'll begin to listen to someone. I was listening, I'm not calling names, visiting one of our people the other day, and the program came on, and, and, and I just had to say that, that I wouldn't be listening to it. I wouldn't listen to anything he has to say because he's a false teacher. And there's a lot of people who like him. There's a lot of people who follow him. But I'm telling you, as your shepherd, he's a false teacher. And if you want to know who he is, you can come and ask me. And if you don't want to know who his initials he is, his initials are J-O, so you ought to be able to figure it out from there. And that guy is a false teacher, if there ever was one. And you need to be very, very careful if you're listening to him. Yes, he'd make a great motivational speaker. But he's not a godly man who preaches the Word and teaches the Word accurately. As I stood there in that television blaring, he took a verse out of uh, Colossians and turned it 180 degrees from what it said. And if you don't know the Word, then you can get caught up in those things because it sure did sound good because all of us want money jingling in our pockets. We all want to be feeling good every day. We want everything we want. Amen? But I'm going to tell you, folks, sometimes as a Christian, it may not be that way at all. It may be the hardest life of anybody that you know, but you know one thing, that He's still in charge, that He is our Savior and our Lord, and in the end, we're the victor. Amen? So there's three areas. Number one, I put down here, is reject false doctrine. What is doctrine? When I pastored up in northern Kentucky, had a, one of these preachers that just went here, there, and everywhere, you know, and preaching, and he told me he just didn't believe in doctrine. And that's why he wasn't a Baptist. He didn't believe in doctrine. Well, doctrine is simply teaching. Whatever he was teaching was his doctrine. He may not have wanted to call it that. Now, I hope and pray when we talk about Baptist doctrine, we could take that word 
B and use it better and say biblical doctrine. This is what the Bible teaches, that this is the truth. If we were teaching a false doctrine, it doesn't matter if we are Baptists, it's still false. Amen? Doctrine or teaching is something we need to be careful about. So look at those first five verses that James read to us. Now he's using an example here, and you can apply this to a lot of other different things. But he says, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly, and we're in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the first 16 verses, 1 Timothy 4, well, 16 verses. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith. They will uh, follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. So the further we go down the line, I believe the worse that this is going to get. And we see it so much today. When I went into the pastorate years ago, I didn't have to deal with a lot of things from that standpoint doctrine that you have to deal with today. Because there was a sense that people believed the book because what it said is what they believed it said, not trying to make it say what they wanted it to say. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their conscience are dead or seared. They, they, they have no conscience about what they're teaching. It's just okay to teach it. It doesn't matter whether it's truth or not. As long as I'm okay and I think everybody else is okay. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods, but God created those foods to be eaten with thank, f- thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God in prayer. Now, I'm not going into the whole deal here, but what we had going on here was you had those who were Judaizers or Jews who were saved, and they had a tendency to believe that the meat that was sacrificed to idols, which I think they were right, you shouldn't eat. And so they looked down on those who did, and they said, you shouldn't do this. There were other Judaizers who came along and said, you can't do this, and you can't do that. And if you're going to be a Christian, and listen to me, because it can happen to me, and it can happen to you. We sometimes get legalistic in what the book says, rather than letting the book say what it says. We come up with our own set of rules based not necessarily on what the Bible says, but what we may think and what it may indicate. But he's saying to them, there's these things you can't do, even that you can't even get married. Well, we know that wasn't right, you know. And then there were others who ate it, and they felt that the others should too. So what he's saying to us here is don't listen to this kind of stuff. Don't fall in to false teaching. Now, we're going to understand a little later on how we can know whether it's false teaching or not. That's, I can tell you what I know for these 30 minutes or whatever I take on Sunday morning, but that's only a smidget of your life. Amen? That You've got to discern. You've got to listen. You've got to know when somebody's teaching something that's not true. Now, listen to what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.3 about rejecting false doctrine. He says, and by the way, we'll be preaching through this book next month, uh, but there's some verses that were so good I couldn't leave them out today. But listen to what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. He says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome, wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And this is what we have going on so much of today. People do not want to sit and listen to truth. 
The truth is what sets us free, folks. Anything else, we'll still be in bondage. We need to know what the truth says about whatever the subject may be. What God says about it settles it. We can explain it away and get rid of it. We can maybe feel good about ourselves, but we need to understand that God wrote this book, He gave us this book, and He gave it for the common people. Do you all remember one of the big things that the... the, uh, uh, Protestant Revolution came about uh, way back there when uh, Martin Luther nailed his thesis to the wall. The Catholic Church would not allow the lay people to have the Word. They interpreted it for them. And one of the greatest things that came out of that is today we have the Word and we can study it on our own. And another thing that we as Baptists know, and that is we believe in the priesthood of the believer. So who is the priest? Who do you have to go to when you need somebody to pray for you? You don't have to go to anybody. You all may think I'm being braggadocious here, and I don't mean this to be that way at all. But if God can't hear me, then I'm in real trouble, right? I appreciate prayers of other people, but I don't have to have the prayers of other people because I believe that I am have a direct line to God, not because I'm a preacher, but because I'm a part of God's forever family. When He saved me, He became my Heavenly Father. I can call Him Abba Father, can I? Which is, some say, Daddy. That's how close a relationship I have with Him. So if I have a need, I don't have to call on everybody to do for me. I may sometimes call and say, hey, would you pray for me? But I can go to Him. That's one of the great things about being saved, isn't it, Phil? When you had your heart gets to fluttering real big and all this carrying on, you don't have to call everybody in town, do you? You call Him, don't you? Lord, i got a problem right now. You take care of it. And I think we all need to come to grips with this fact that we are priests in His sight. That's the priesthood of the believer. In other words, we have access individually to God. Through whom? Jesus. He is our mediator, isn't He? He's at the right hand of God, always making intercession for us. So if you need to call people, call them. But remember, if you're saved, you're as much important to God as 10,000 people praying. And we need to get that through our, into our hearts. Because we think that God is moved to change His mind because or whatever. Because if we can get a million people praying, then God's going to do something. I want to tell you something. I believe my prayer is as good as any of those million people. Now, you all go out of here and say you've got an uh, arrogant pastor if you want to. But if I didn't believe that, then I wouldn't be up here preaching to you today. I wouldn't lay awake of a night and pray for you if I didn't believe that He is listening to me, that He would do what I ask Him to do. We need sometimes to, have, to know that we got people praying for us. That's the encouragement that we need from the human side, isn't it? There are people who care for us. But those people have no more access to God than you do as a Christian. And never forget that. So when you're in trouble, call God. That's who you need to talk to. Father, here I am. I'm in trouble. Do like uh, our son's mother-in-law, bless her heart, she is converted Catholic. And she'd always tell me about being raised in the Catholic church out in California and how her, how her aunt raised her and wanted her to be a Catholic. And she married a, a fella from down here in, around Lebanon, Gravel Switch. Have you all been there? I've never been there, I don't think. But anyway, she got saved. And she was parking in her 
driveway and it had a little tilt on it up there in Louisville and forgot, thought she put the car in park and put it in neutral, had her door open getting out and it pushed her back. The car rolled backward and she was in a ditch pinned in. Couldn't get out on Terry Road up there. If y'all have ever been on it's kind of busy. And she's hollering, help, help, praying. And she said, Tony, I'm going to tell you something. You probably don't like it. But I even said the rosary. I thought that might help me. Folks, let me tell you, you don't have to use anything. If you're saved, you have direct line to Him. And don't ever forget that. One of the greatest things about being a part of God's forever family is He is our Heavenly Father. Amen? Sound doctrine, that's what you want. People go out here looking for anything and everything. What experience can I get? People run from one conference to the other getting a high. Did you all know that people have to run from one religious conference to another have the same brain problem that a person on drugs has? They have to get that high from going. Folks, where do you get your highs? Right here. This is where we need to get it. And when we get it there, then we don't have to depend on everything else. Then we'll want to be among God's family. When the church doors are open, we're going to want to be there. We're going to be with our brothers and sisters. We want to be a part of what's doing. We want to be a part of that family. Lord willing, Peggy and I will be with a part of our family this after, later today, but it'll be in Michigan. But we want to be with that family. Why? I'm not going to Michigan just to see anybody. We're going to Michigan to see family because that's who our family is. And we ought to want to have that as Christians, to be with our family when the family gets together. Oh me or amen. It wasn't too good either way it went, was it? So we'll, we'll leave it at that. The second point is, feed yourself with sound doctrine. Feed yourself with sound teaching. Listen what he says here in verses uh, 6 through 10. He says, if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nurtured by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Do not waste time arguing over godless, godless ideals and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. Now what is he telling him? Timothy, teach them the truth. Make sure they understand the truth. I'm telling you, this is something that's in the church, and you need to deal with it. And then he says, make sure you teach the truth. So you teach the truth. I stand up here this morning and preach for, like I said, 30 minutes or so. And you leave and you go out of here. Statistically, by tomorrow night, you won't remember 2% of what I said today. So what, what, where does your responsibility go? Your responsibility goes to what he says here and what we find in 2 Timothy 2.15. And let me back up on this. I, I had another verse I wanted to use on this rejecting false doctrine. Listen to what he said in Romans 11. I think this is important too, and I almost forgot it because I woke up this morning about 5 o'clock thinking about these verses. I'm adding 
But this, these, these two verses, listen to them when we think about sound doctrine. He says, Even so then, at the present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Now, let me share this with you. Most of you know that I'm not very ecumenical. Amen? Now, you know what that means? I'm not much for getting with other denominations. I'm not an ecumenical person. Haven't been, never have been. And unless the Lord changes me between now and when He calls me home, I won't be. Because I think there's some truths in the Bible that are very important. I'll tell you somebody else that wasn't very ecumenical, but I think he went along with the program, was the chief. And I'll tell you why. We had an Easter service, and he had something in there about baptism. You all know what he put in parentheses? Anybody know? He put immersion. Why? Because everybody doesn't believe in immersion as baptism. They think they can sprinkle. They think they can pour. They think they can do a lot of other things. You can't even take the word and get that out of it. But what I want to say is this. Paul said in Romans, if you can be saved by works, then grace isn't any count. And if you can be saved by grace, then works don't count. You can't mix the two together. They're like oil and water. And to the Galatians, he said, if you add anything other than grace, didn't he, in the first chapter, then whether it be me or an angel, preach that, be accursed. There's people who believe you have to be baptized to be saved. It's called baptismal regeneration. What would baptism be to grace? Works. If you have to be baptized, you're adding something to grace. And then there are those who don't believe, who believe, I'll state it this way, you can be lost once you're saved. If you can be lost once you're saved, then what's going to keep you saved? Works. You've got to be good. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. So those two doctrines are prevail in most denominations. And to me, as a pastor, this is me. I'm not, you, you do what you want to do. I'm telling you me. When I associate and I participate in that, what I am saying to everybody who doesn't know, one doctrine is as good as another. And it isn't. Doesn't mean I can't be good friends with those people. Doesn't mean I can't love those people. But it does mean that I'm not going to put my stamp of approval as a pastor or as a Christian on doctrines that I know are false. And I know you don't have to be baptized to be saved. And I know you don't have to work to stay saved. Surely this church can say amen to those two things. So that's, that's why you find that I'm not ecumenical. I think it's very important. Other people may not, but I do. I think, I think it's extremely important. That's why I have problems with the revive, or crusades where we just have everybody in town get with it. And this guy comes forward and here comes uh, Crystal. And I say to her, Crystal, yeah, I'm glad you came today. Now, let me tell you, and I go through whatever I go through, but you've got to be baptized now before you get saved. Another one comes down the road, I want to tell you, but you know, if you don't live right, you're, you'll have to, you know, this ain't going to work. I can't stand there with those people, knowing these people are being called forward, and they're being taught something that isn't true. 
Now I quit preaching, went to meddling today, didn't I? That's what Paul was doing. He was meddling. He is saying, look, there are people who are getting in the church who are teaching false doctrine. And Timothy, I'm telling you, straighten it out. The important thing for a preacher isn't to be popular. The important thing for a, pre a preacher is to be truthful. To be honest with you and what the book has to say. I, you know, one of the best friends Peggy and I ever had, you all, some of you remembered I did. I went to Florida and did his revival. His mother-in-law was a, a Nazarene preacher. Well, everybody knows what I believe about women preachers, right? And his wife would say to me every time she'd say something about her mother, now you know, I know, Brother Tony, you don't believe in it. Well, I don't. But we were closest friends because we may disagree with them on that, but I'm not going to affirm what they're doing. So then we go down to point two, feed yourself with sound doctrine. I read that. The other verse I want to use is two verses I want to use to you, actually three. I want to share with you as we hurry on through the message. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. Now this applies to all of us, not just to Timothy, not just to Tony, but to all of us. He says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. Doing what? Rightly dividing the word of truth. So how are you going to know if there's a false teacher? Is you're going to have to study the word, right? What does the Word say? Not what does this verse say. What does the Word say? You see, not just a verse here or there. What does the Word say? How, when you take this verse, this verse and then you put it in the context of what God's saying, what is He saying to us? I just studied on sanctification before I came over here to preach this morning. And you can take verses and prove 12 different things about sanctification unless you understand sanctification. So when you're studying, and that's why you need to study, or as Paul reminds us, or as Luke reminds us there in Acts chapter 17, if you want to underline these, it'd be good verses for you to underline, verses 10 and 11. You know, Paul was in Thessalonica, and they threw him out, and he went down to Berea and preached down there. And listen what it says about the people in Berea. It says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, when they arrived, they went into the synagogues of the Jews. The, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And that's the important thing. When I preach, don't just take it because I say it, please. Make sure it's what God's Word says. You hear what I'm saying? Make sure this is what God's Word says. Because, folks, I'm going to tell you something. I don't think, I think the worst thing that can happen to any human being is to think they're saved and die and wake up in hell. I, don't, I can't think of anything that could be any worse because they've swatted hook, line, and sinker a false doctrine of salvation. Make sure that whomever you're listening to. And how are you going to know that? By studying the Word. You won't know whether it says something or not. Roberta studies the Word, I'll guarantee you, every day. And has for years. I hear these people say, boy, she's a good teacher. Why? Because she studies the Word. She's asked me two or three different things. 
And sometimes, I'll be honest with you all, you come up to me after church and ask me something, I'm probably going to be blanker than whatever because my whole life is on this right here, not on what happened in other passage scripture. Sometimes I have to go home and, well, what was she talking? Oh, I know. I, why didn't I think? Because my mind isn't there. Sound doctrine. And thirdly and finally, teach others sound doctrine as well. See what he says here in verses 11 through 16. He says, teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Insist. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. You see, it, it, he says, don't look down on him because of his age, but Timothy, don't mess it up because of your age by not living the way you ought to live. This is true for me as an older pastor. It's true as you all. You are God's book out here in the world. Every one of us are. They're looking at us to see what Christianity is all about. Do we believe the book or don't we believe the book? Do we believe when he says this or don't we believe when he says this? What kind of example am I to those people who are watching me? If I was the only example they had, would they have good, bad, or indifferent example? It's a heavy burden to carry, isn't it? But it's part of what it means to be a part of God's forever family. Just like it was for the family that you were raised in. You had certain uh, expectations of you as a child. And even now, some folks in the family they're in, there's certain expectations. Look at every kid that's raised in a preacher's family. If they go wrong, what's the first word you hear? I can't believe that. They, their daddy was a preacher. Well, let me let you on a secret. Those kids are kids like you are too. Your kids are. And sometimes, and I hate to have to say this, but I'm going to say it because they've seen some of the stuff that's gone on in the church. They don't want any part of the church anymore. I've got four preachers I could name you right now about my age, and most of their kids are not in church at all because they saw how their daddy was treated for his years of preaching. And then we wonder why they're like they are. When I see the daddy that calls me and he's worried himself sick because his daughter is so strung out on drugs that she can't even take care of her own family. You think that he doesn't break his heart to try to walk into the pulpit and preach? When people look and he knows and says, well, look at him. His daughter's strung out on drugs. Who's he to stand up here and talk to us? It's not easy to be a Christian. Let me tell you something. It cost Christ his life on the cross. It cost us discipline our life to live for him. He says, teach these things, insist on everyone learning them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. And then he says, until I get there, focus on reading. Look at this. Focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. What does Acts 6 tell us the responsibility of the pastor is? Does anybody remember? We preached on deacon, ordained a deacon last Sunday. What does it say the responsibility of the pastor is? To study, to pray and to preach, right? What's our expectation of a pastor? He's a doctor. The only thing he's not is an undertaker. Listen, I'm not fussing about anything I do, but folks... It's hard to teach and to preach and to get everything together when you're here, there, and everywhere, isn't it? That's why he gave us deacons. 
You know what deacons are supposed to do? Well, I preached it last Sunday. I'll save that for another time. I see them all smiling. That just told me they know what they're supposed to do, so I don't have to say any more than that. Amen? He says, look what he goes on and says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into the task so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Keep a close watch, Tony, on how you live and what you're teaching. Keep a close watch on it. Make sure that your life is such that people can know that you're part of God's forever family, you're saved. Make sure they can trust your teaching. Keep a close eye on it. Stay true to what is right uh, for the sake of your own salvation. And listen to this, and the salvation of those who hear you. Why? Why? You know, I've got a big picture that I hope I can get hung in between those two uh, bookshelves over there, right over the computer of Jesus sitting, looking out over Jerusalem, weeping. And, and some people can't understand why we pastors, I sound mad sometimes, don't I? I'm sure you all think I am. I'm not mad. I'm passionate about wanting you to be everything God has called you to be. I want to be able to read the book and say, oh, there's somebody's mind, name comes to mind, and say, that, that's them. I don't want to read that verse and say, Lord, you know that so-and-so doesn't like somebody today? They're mad at them? And you said to not even let anger go down? The sun set on it? And they're mad at people. I know they don't love because they've told me they don't love certain people. You think that that's fun when you start praying through the church family and the name comes up and you have to say, Lord, you know what that person's life is right now better than I do. But what I know is this is where they are. You think that doesn't break my heart? It'd be so much easier to say, Lord, let's just keep helping them to grow in knowledge and understanding. That's what Paul prayed for the church at Colossae, wasn't it? That we don't have to pray for us to quit acting like we're babies. Quit acting like we've never been saved. Quit acting like we don't have a greater power in us than, in the, than, than that which is in the world. That we can get angry and, and get over it. That we can get frustrated with somebody and get over it. Why? Because He's told us to do that and He's empowered us to do that through the person of the Holy Spirit. Right? I don't have to be mad at Phil. Me and him have a disagreement. Do I have to be mad at you, Phil? No, I choose to be mad at you. I don't have to be mad at you. Phil disagrees with me on something. He don't have to be mad at me. We can leave the disagreement with the thing we disagreed on and love each other, be willing to lay down our life for each other. That ought to be the way with every one of us. When I pray for Peggy, I always pray, Lord, make sure I love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's how much I want to love her. I want her to know that I love her that much. And he said, a good shepherd. I'll close here. I'm going to come down. If I don't, you get up here. Because if I don't get down here, I'll y'all get ready to sing. I'll be preaching 1230 and I won't get to Michigan until midnight. But anyway, no, not because I want to go. Y'all know to eat. But if you go into Watermill, they'll hold a place for you down there. All right? But folks, let me tell you, to be a part of God's family is a privilege. We live in America where we think it's, that it, it's just ours because we're Americans. 
There's people all over this world today right now going through suffering beyond anything you and I can ever dream or think of. Why? Because they've named Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Think about it. And we get this privileged to be a part of God's forever family and to live in America where we have Bibles galore, where we have studies that we can get in, where we can learn and where we can grow, and where we can fuss and fight and show the whole world that we can fuss and fight and still love each other. Isn't that amazing? Somebody makes a profession of faith and never comes forward, never acknowledges Jesus as Savior, and you get to that person's name, how do you pray for them? Lord, if they got saved, encourage them to come forward. But Lord, if it was a false profession, deal with their heart. I want you to go to heaven. I want you to go excited about Jesus. I want you to walk through that door and he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Ananias and Safari walked through that door having just lied to the Holy Spirit. I don't know what God said to them when they got there. But wouldn't you hate for God to say to you, You held a grudge against somebody for 30, 40, 50, 60 years? Let alone overnight. He said, Don't even hold it overnight, didn't he? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. You walk before the Lord and the Lord says to you, you said you were a Bible believer. You said you knew all about the Word. You said you knew more than anybody else. You knew exactly what God was saying. And you can't even obey the little simple things I say. I told you that I'll bless you if you'll give me what's... As Cheryl said the other day, it's all his. But what I claim to be mine, Jesus said, Render unto Caesar what's Caesar's, unto God what's God. I give you a good job. I give you all these things. You've got everything you want. You go out and buy more toys so you can have more toys to brag about than anybody else. But yet my church suffers because you're unwilling to bring into the storehouse what's mine. You get mad at somebody and you say, Lord, I'm just going to keep it in my pocket. I'm going to escrow this. I'm not going to take it down there. At your church, Jesus said to Paul, He said, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting those people? I'm liable to get excited and keep us here till midnight, folks. We've got every opportunity in the world because of God's love for us to set an example that could set this world on fire for Jesus if we get our stinking selves out of the way and let Jesus get in the way. Amen or oh me? Church, let me tell you something. This church is like most churches in America today. We're sitting right here. We're not going here. We're doing maybe a little back, but we're just right here. And the reason it is, is we've neglected this. We say we believe it, but we don't. Because if we did, we would practice it. I didn't get through, but I'm quitting. We need Jesus more than we've ever needed Him in our life as individuals and collectively as a church. This community, this area needs a church that's a church built on Jesus. That we preach Jesus, 
we live Jesus and people begin to think we smell like Jesus because we're sold out to Jesus. I don't know what I may have said, done, or anything over these nine and a half years. I have tried to be honest, faithful to my call, to the stewardship of my responsibility at this church. Whatever I may have done to you that has hurt you, all I can do is ask you to forgive me for it and put it behind you and put Jesus in the forefront. I can tell you unequivocally, whether you're here today, whether they're here today or not, there isn't a member of this church that I've known over these years that I wouldn't do anything in the world for you if I'm physically or able to do. I said that one day and somebody told me to mow the yard, so I'm going to leave it at that, okay? Y'all understand what I'm saying. Why? Because I love you. I'm responsible for you. And I will give an account to God for what kind of pastor I've been to you. Could it be today that we're willing to say, God, I surrender all. I, that's not our invitation, I know that. But I surrender all. All these cruddy things that I've let mess me up from being what you've called me to be, I'm throwing them at the foot of the cross today. I'm trusting the blood to cover it. And I'm going to be the man, the woman, the boy or girl that God would have me to be. And I'm going to lift up Jesus and Him alone. Father, as we sing our hymn of invitation, if there's those who need to come forward, please let them. I don't want them to come for me. I want them to come because the Holy Spirit spoke to their heart. Lord, you know that I thought 15 minutes I'll be through today, and I've probably preached longer than I have in a long time. But God, I'm filled. I'm filled with just wanting, just begging you, God, to send a revival. Lord, do something here that will let this church be the lighthouse that will glorify you around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.